What's the most surprising thing consumers have asked you over the years when it comes to farming or agriculture? I have Jersey cows, so they have like these really beautiful yeah. eyes and things like that. And I was kind of joking with these folks and um, they said, well, what's the hardest part about farming? And I said, well, I have to come out every morning really early and get the <laughs> mascara on the cows and do like a little smoky eye. And they were like, looked at me, they're like, that sounds like a lot of work. And I was like, well, they give chocolate milk. So what are you going to do? You know? Um, but it's like, people are so like, I'm like, of course I don't do that. And the, like, it's funny the disconnect people have with where their food is coming from. You can't survive without it. It plays a part in almost everything we bring into our homes. It's agriculture. I'm Amy Flugsopt. In my 15-year career as a broadcast journalist, I've traveled the country, won awards, and have told the stories of everyone from presidential candidates to the neighbor next door. Now, I'm getting back to my farm girl roots to connect you back to where your food, fuel, fabric, and all of those items in between originated, the farm. Inside the Bullseye is a one-of-a-kind conversation that's designed especially for you, the consumer. Broadcasting from my home studio in Madison, Wisconsin, I'm Amy Flipsop. Trust me, this isn't your grandfather's way of farming. As we savor these last few days of 2021, we are so excited to end our inaugural year with a conversation with a woman whose values are right in line with us here at Inside the Bullseye. Inga Witcher is a farmer who spent nearly a decade working to connect people just like you back to the farm and understand why farmers do what they do. All of this is done through her PBS television series, Around the Farm Table. Now, the funny thing is, she didn't always want to be a farmer, but now she's completely immersed in it and she paints a beautiful picture for you at home. Just a little background on the recording of this interview. She actually drove into town to use Wi-Fi to make sure she had the best signal possible. And then when it didn't fully upload right to the cloud, she made another trip back into town. So Inga, a huge thank you for going out of your way to make this happen. And yes, the struggle is real when it comes to rural broadband. So due to those technical issues, we had to delay this interview until now, but it's definitely worth the wait. We are so excited to end 2021 with her. Enjoy. Joining us is Inga Witcher. She's a fourth generation organic dairy farmer and has a passion for connecting consumers just like you back to the farm. You may actually recognize her. She's the host of the PBS television series Around the Farm Table, a show that shares the stories of small scale farmers and food producers throughout the Midwest. Inga, I have to tell you, I am a super fan and I am so excited to have you joining the conversation today. Well, thank you for inviting me along on your journey. I love talking with other women who are getting the word out about what's happening with agriculture around uh, the United States. Well, we have so much to talk about today, including a new award that you just received. But 
First, I really just, I, I want to take a moment and talk about the show Around the Farm Table and introduce it to some of our listeners who may not be familiar with it. I know it's one of my personal favorites, so I can't imagine somebody not knowing about it. But go ahead and just share a little bit about Around the Farm Table. Around the Farm Table is our television series that airs on PBS throughout the nation. I think we're now in um, 30 some odd states and the Virgin Islands in Puerto Rico. So we're excited to tell the story about what's happening on farms. Primarily, we focus on farms in Wisconsin because I'm also a dairy farmer. So a lot of the time we have to get to uh, to the, the farms and get back for chores. So what we do with the, the show is we'll take the viewers to two or three different farms, introduce them to the people that are growing their food. And then we pick up some ingredients, take it back to my farm kitchen, where I cook a meal and serve it to my neighbors around the farm table. Oh, that's so fun. So I love the words that you use to describe this. It's You call it a food and farm adventure. And, and surely it is because you not only take the viewers to these particular farms, but you show them how to use these beautiful ingredients that are grown there as well. I just, I love that idea. Well, you know, it's so interesting how... So many people now are disconnected from where their food's coming from, from who is growing that food. And as a farmer myself and someone doing value added on my farm, it's hard to get the stories out. It's hard to tell people exactly the passion that I have for what I do, for caring for the land, for caring for the wildlife around the farm and the animals and why that why they should be buying my product. Why is it different than someone else's or even just like, you know, introducing people to like a really great heirloom variety of tomato that's grown on specific farms that is completely life-changing after you take a bite of this beautiful tomato in August, right? And we just, we forget so much where our food is coming from. And I take for granted that not everyone grew up on a dairy farm like I did with a huge garden. So I'm excited to be able to reintroduce people to the food system. As a farm kid myself, I grew up on a beef farm in northern Indiana and a small grains operation. So it's true. Those of us that have lived this lifestyle, I think we sometimes forget there are so many people out there that, that just have that disconnect, like you said. Yeah. We were actually filming an episode earlier this year at my farm, and I had uh, one of my cows had calved that morning. Uh, you know, like an hour before we started filming and we do these sort of like pickup shots in my fields of like, you know, gather with us around the farm table and different things. And she was, uh, she was cleaning at the time. She, her calf was fine, healthy. And then she was pushing her placenta out. And my camera guy, who's like 20 something years old, had never witnessed anything like this. You know, I mean, I've <laughs> been seeing that my entire life. It's like no big deal. Yes. And He's like, oh my gosh, the cow is dying. There's something wrong with your cow. Her entire insides are coming out. And I'm like, that's completely normal. <laughs> How is that shocking? <laughs> oh, those life experiences. I know all the stories we could tell of, of, of birth happening on the farm. Just like, just like in humans, you never know what's going to happen. It's just the same with livestock. You always have a good story to tell after it's over. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you talk about bringing the consumer back to the farm and that connection. Is that really how this show started? Is that why you wanted to produce something like this? Well, my dad and I created the show together. Uh, he was mentoring me on this farm that I bought here in Wisconsin, you know, helping me uh, with milking cows and just teaching me sort of how to run a farm. 
And at the time we were watching these, I moved in with my parents and I loved living back with them in my twenties. It was like the best time. And we were watching these British television series about these chefs going around to different farms in the UK and getting ingredients. And we're, it seemed like all these food shows were talked about from the perspective of chefs, right? Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, one day we were milking cows and we we're like, well, why isn't anyone telling the perspective of the, where the food's coming from and how it's being grown, how it's being handled, what the passion behind it. And so my dad said, we should do a television series and it would be perfect for PBS. And I said, all right, you know, and so we just, uh, we hired a camera guy and that was, you know, eight years ago and here we are. That's incredible. I, I love that idea of of showing people and helping them understand. And, and that's really the essence of what we're trying to do here at Inside the Bullseye as well. We're trying to connect people back to the farm and help them understand because, you know, farmers, those working in the agricultural industry, they are incredible people and they are doing one of the hardest jobs in the world, making sure we are all fed. Right, right. And it's just, it's amazing too, like what we produce just here in the state of Wisconsin. A lot of people think it's, we're known for our cheese, which we have fantastic cheeses here in Wisconsin. But we're we're also, you know, a huge producer of cranberries, horseradish, ginseng. Uh, We're the largest producer of goat's milk in the nation, which I don't think people have any idea. And it's just like, it's so interesting what's happening uh, here in the Midwest. Well, I want to dive into season eight and, and things just, you know, season eight just kicked off for those viewers following along on PBS. And, you know, I, I would love for you to share what does season eight hold for the viewers? Is there, is there any little tidbits, any nuggets you can share with us? So we did cut down to four episodes. We usually do eight, but now I am milking cows and making cheese full time on my farm. So I have a little less time to go out and film. So we did four beautiful episodes this year. Our first episode that's online right now is all about the cheese making process on my farm uh, and a little introduction on how we do things with rotational grazing and different things on the farm. Uh, Some upcoming episodes, we're going to be featuring farmers that are doing pumpkin seed oil. They're actually America's first pumpkin seed oil producers. Pumpkin seed oil is very popular in um, Europe and parts of Europe. And they said, let's do it here on our small farm. And it's just like really interesting to see the process of bringing that to the market. We also feature this wonderful group of women in Southern Wisconsin called the Soil Sisters. Uh, if you haven't heard about them, it's they're fantastic women. They're helping change laws so that we can do more canning to sell at home and bake goods and all these different things. They're, they're having farm stays on their farms. I, they're just incredible with thinking outside the box when it comes to agriculture. And I had 50 of these women up to my farm this summer and we had this beautiful lunch. Every It was a potluck. Everybody brought something when we laid out all these tables in one of my hay fields and all gathered and just like really enjoyed the afternoon of just everyone brought something from their farm, you know, sampling everyone's goods. It was just like really amazing. And I think we're telling different stories. One, another story that we're telling this year, which is so interesting to me is about Kernza. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with Kernza, but it's a perennial wheat crop. And they're doing a lot of studies here at the university of Wisconsin about the benefits of Kernza. So by having it as a perennial crop, these root systems are growing eight feet into the ground. It's 
amazing. So I'm excited to kind of introduce people to these lesser known things. So I I, I do know on your website, you talk about uh, season eight is, is really bringing people onto your farm. And some of that had to do with, you know, COVID happening and and things like that and not being able to travel as much. But I'm so curious to know, what is it like bringing people into your world? Well, I love it. I'm so proud of being a dairy farmer. It's and I love my life on the farm. I just love it. I, I love every day is a little bit different and the sounds that you're hearing when you're walking outside. And I just really want to share that with people because I feel so fortunate every day to be able to be living in this little piece of Wisconsin, uh, listening to my stream and, and, you know, being with the cows. So we wanted to bring people onto the farm to kind of reintroduce who I am and what, what's going on with the farm. I'm really passionate about intensive grazing and the benefits that has to the land, to the animals and to the wildlife surrounding the farm. So I really wanted to highlight that. Uh, and also we're making cheese on the farm. And so my, we brought the camera crew in the creamery and they spent the afternoon making cheese with my father and I, and it was just like, you know, it's just, it's nice to be able to show what I'm so excited about. You know what I mean? Talk about intensive grazing. What is, what does that even mean for our consumers that are listening? Help put that into perspective. So intensive grazing or managed intensive grazing for me means moving those cows to fresh pasture every 12 hours. So I have a portable fencing system that I can stick in the ground, pull it back up. It's not permanent. And I'm moving those cows to fresh pasture every 12 hours. That way they can harvest their own feed. They can spread their own manure. Uh, They're sequestering carbon into that soil. And there's certain kinds of birds that can only nest in grasslands. So the cows know not to eat the bird's nest, right? And they don't step on them. They walk around. So they're really kind of coexisting Mm. with nature. And so if I'm bringing a tractor in there all the time, I I could be cutting, uh, you know, ruining all that nesting habitat for those area birds. And it's just amazing to see the quality of the milk from these grasses. So the cows are really getting this nutrient dense, diverse diet from all of the different grasses that are on my farm. And it turns the milk, this beautiful, golden, creamy color. And that's because the cows can't digest the beta carotene. So they put it right into the milk and it just gives the cheese this like sunshine color. I love it. That is like such a beautiful illustration just to picture that just... (laughs) you know, mother nature at her best right there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's my favorite thing. My dad and I, we have a a sort of a ongoing tradition of the first day the cows go out to graze in usually around May 1st, we'll make an ice cold martini and go sit out, let the cows out. And then we will just sip our martini and listen to them eating. And it's just the most exciting sound after winter, you know, just hearing all this liveliness and seeing just how excited they are to be back out on the grass. You know, my family did a very similar thing too when we would turn our cows out into the front pasture. My family has since sold off our cattle operation, but I have such fond memories of just sitting in the driveway in a lawn chair with my mom, just listening and watching the cows in front of our home in the pasture field and just the conversations that we had. Those moments are just so special. Yeah, I could sit and watch my cows eat yes. all day long. And I often <laughs> like, I'll just like go out on the e- summer evening and just sit in the pasture with them. And I'm just like, Oh, just love you guys. Just have a great time. You know, it's there's something 
it's just the best. It's so calming <laughs> to, to listen so calming. to them just to chew and their movements through the grasses. It's it's a very calming effect. I know there's been some studies done like cow therapy, cow cuddle therapy and things like that because it's so true. These animals just have this amazing calming effect over you. Yeah. And just to also see them interacting with each other, how, you know, one will kind of scratch the other mm-hmm. one's back, you know, and they just move together as this little herd. And it's just, it's beautiful. Yeah, they're so social. It's, it's great to watch those interactions. You talked about your father there. Um, I, I would, I would love to know, take me through the generations of your farm because you're fourth generation. And, and what does that mean to you to continue this family legacy? So I'm a fourth generation farmer. My great grandfather started bottling milk from his dairy herd back way back when. And then my grandfather bought a farm, started milking cows. And then uh, they sold, when he retired, he sold his farm. My father started his own farm at a different location. And then I'm starting my farm at a different location. So it's, it's interesting seeing, being in a situation where we're not handed down the farm from generation to generation. Uh, it's wonderful because we can kind of start each of us individually, myself, my father, my grandfather, and my great grandfather were able to have their own paths on their farm instead of, well, okay, I got to do it the way my dad did it forever. Mm-hmm. Right. And all these different things, even though I farm basically the same <laughs> way my dad did, he always did manage to do some grazing for, you know, for since the eighties. Uh, but it's, it's so interesting. I didn't grow up wanting to be a dairy farmer. I actually wanted to be a hairdresser and then I flunked out of beauty school. And so this is my plan B is dairy farming. And, but it's interesting. It's like these, these things that I'm doing every day, I milk in buckets uh, to just keep the fat together in the milk. And I'm thinking about my grandfather, my great grandfather milking in buckets. Um, I'm putting up pasture every day in the summertime and the springtime. And I, it's the same thing that my dad did when, you know, I, I remember watching when I was a kid. So by doing these simple things I'm doing every day, I'm constantly reconnecting with those, my, my family from all these different generations. And I don't, I think I took it for granted when I was in my twenties and I first started farming. Now that I'm older, I can see like, this is amazing. And I chose not to have children myself, but I do have four nephews. And part of me is like, I really hope that one of them wants to continue on with this legacy of farming because it's just, it's that simple connection of doing these things every day that my dad did, that my grandpa did, that my grand, my great grandfather, uh, that makes me really proud to be able to have this as my career. That's one thing I think that's so special about this industry is, is the deep family connections that you can share across generations and the stories that you'll remember forever being out on the farm. I know for me personally, growing up on a farm, that's what's so special is to think back to all of those family moments. Connecting with those family moments and just connecting with the earth and the animals and all of these different things. And, you know, that's another reason why we wanted to do our television show is just to help people reconnect with these simplicities and this this beauty of everyday life on the farm. One thing I want to I want to ask you about are are the bucket milkers. You made reference to them as you were talking about uh, how you do things on your farm, and and you feature them in actually episode one of season eight. And I found it so fascinating, and I think a lot of our consumers would love to to know more about that because. When, when so many people think about a milking operation, they think of automatic milk, milkers now in this day and age, but bucket milkers are a little bit different. Can you talk more about that? 
Yeah, I grew up milking in a milking parlor. I had no idea what a stall barn was until I moved to Wisconsin. When I moved here, started farming, I was milking in a stall barn with a pipeline. And now I'm milking in buckets. I think pretty soon I'll be just be milking by hand one day. I'm going reverse <laughs> technology. But <laughs> but it's, it's nice. With the bucket milker system, one thing that I love about it is, so I have units. I hook them up to the cows and uh, I'm not milking anything by hand. I'm just, I'm carrying the milk into the bulk tank. So what happens with that is if I'm pumping the milk through the pipeline, a lot of the butter fat in the milk will stick to that pipeline if the pipeline's cold, especially, and the milk's hot. So by milking into the bucket, I'm treating the milk more gently. So it's keeping the integrity of the milk and it's keeping the fat in the milk whole. So it makes a richer cheese. The other thing I love about it too is I can tell how much each cow mm. is milking because I have to then schlep that bucket <laughs> into the milk house and pour it in. So I, I can tell like, oh, this is a really good pasture for these cows. They're loving the, the feed today. Or, uh, you know, if something's off, I know right away. So it's, it's, really, um, it's really a unique, wonderful system. Since I downsized my herd from around 50 cows down to now I have seven cows, I thought, well, this is the time to kind of reimagine the system. And with seven cows... I can certainly dump the milk, you know, pour the milk into the milk tank. And uh, I just need to go to the chiropractor about <laughs> once a month to, to help my back for that. You, you reference that reverse technology, that idea, you know, are you seeing, you know, farmers when you're, when you're out on these operations, uh, you know, around the Midwest, are you seeing them still doing these, I guess you could call them like old world techniques in a sense, you know, or, or do you see a lot of people still, like still progressing with the technology? Well, I see the farmers that I'm really drawn to are the ones that are kind of doing things a little bit different on their farms. So we've been to some farms where they have uh, to wash their vegetables, like their carrots and things. They made this cage. It's like a cylinder cage and they hooked it up to the, a bicycle that they, uh, a, st a stay in place bicycle and they pedal the pedals and it moves the, uh, the washer in a circle and then their kids are there spraying inside. So it's it's like this cool washing machine that's hooked up to a bicycle. And it's very low technology. It doesn't require, the only power it requires is your <laughs> legs, right? And I, I love that. Like, I love thinking about things like that. I see a lot more people using horses to plow their fields. A lot of these vegetable farmers are thinking outside of the box that way with when they're only plowing, you know, three or four acres, they can easily do that with horses instead of buying in tractors and bigger equipment. And I'm someone who is terrible at fixing <laughs> things. I, thankfully, my neighbors are very generous in helping me uh, get my skid steer running when it's not working and all these different things. So I tend to look for more simple approaches to things so that I can hopefully be able to fix it without without having to bring in uh, the big guns. Yeah, a lot of farmer when you when you're a farmer, you really have to be a jack of all trades. Like you have to know a little bit about everything to keep your operation running. It's it's so true and it's so I think in society for so long farmers were thought of like, oh, they don't know anything. Mm -hmm. They're kind of like uneducated. And if you look at a farmer, 
they, I mean, it's just amazing. They're midwives, they're nutritionists, they're uh, environmentalists, they're uh, mechanics. And I see some of this new uh, equipment coming out nowadays with GPS, yeah. everything, and uh, the tractor can, you know, help put fertilizer where it needs to be put. And it's just like, oh my gosh, farmers are really incredible with having to do all these different things. Like I, I was joking with one of my neighbors the other day because he wears, they call them old man pliers, you know, on the, their belt buckles or, you know, on the side of their belt all the time because they always have to be prepared to, to fix something with their pliers. I I I can picture my dad and and both my grandfathers right now with, with their pliers (laughs) attached to their belt buckle as well. It's, it's just, it's a staple when you're working on the farm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I need to get myself some Christmas is coming up. Maybe ask Santa. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, Inga, as a farmer, I would love to get your perspective on this because as a, as a farmer, there, there's so much risk that goes into, into your job and there's so much that's out of your control. You've got, you know, mother nature, markets, consumer demand, whatever it may be, you know, how do you as a farmer work through some of those things that are out of your control? Well, it's difficult. Uh, I had my whole farm changed in 2018. I, my barn burnt down one night. The next month, uh, all my hay buildings collapsed under snow. Mm. Uh, my uh, loafing shed collapsed under snow. So it was like a de- It was. I was thinking about it this morning because I was thinking, boy, that was only a few years ago. And like, look how everything has changed for the better, right? But it was so hard to get through that year of that devastation and of that sort of like unexpectedness of, of it all. And uh, you really have to lean on your friends and family in those times. And it's okay to reach out to people and say, boy, this is really tough. What do I do? How do I get through this? Uh, let's go out to lunch. You know, let's get, get off the farm, do something different. Farmers are really suffering right now with uh, low prices, losing farms, and the mm-hmm. suicide rate of farming is so high. And it's just like, we really need to make it normal to check in with people to be okay when devastation happens and not take it as a personal failure mm-hmm. failure you know definitely. what i mean this is this is definitely a group of people that needs to be embraced there are a group of people that you know are very private a lot of times especially when they're having these these issues so if you live next to a farmer or or you know your farmers market and you're interacting with those farmers talk to them have a conversation with them and and like you said it's okay to reach out for help Yeah. And, you know, I've never made a lot of money on the farm. And so that's always been a struggle of like day to day, just like, okay, well, am I going to, am I going to be able to afford all the hay this winter or, you know, all these other things. And oftentimes farmers Mm -hmm. are working more than one job uh, off. You know, a lot of us have off farm income from other jobs that we're doing. Uh, And it's just like, it's, it, there's a lot of struggle with it, but the rewards are so amazing. Like I would not trade my life for anything else in the whole world. Uh, and it, it, so, but yeah, checking in with people and, and knowing it's okay to, uh, you know, rethink and redo and, um, <laughs> yeah. keep staying with yeah, it. <laughs> I, I think you brought up a really good point there that 
people who who live and breathe and die this farm life it is a true passion in their heart it's not to get rich it's not to you know feel you know powerful it's not to feel like they you know maybe own a lot of land or own a lot of assets or anything like that they truly have our consumers who are listening right now their best interest at heart all they want to do is feed the world Absolutely. And you know, the thing about farmers is we're thinking about the food that the consumers are eating much more than they are. We're thinking about what we're putting into our soil, how we're amending that soil so that we can grow the healthiest food possible because we can't have healthy people without healthy food. We can't have healthy food without healthy soils. So farmers are thinking about soils much more than someone just going to the grocery store and picking up some food, right? And we're thinking not only about the soil about the people, but we're thinking about the environment around our farms. Farmers are great conservationists and we're always improving on that through learning technology, uh, getting together with different field walks and different things like that. So we're, we're uh, it's, I'm proud to be a part of this group of people that has so much love for the land and for what we're doing. I'm I'm so glad you brought that point up because I've had two separate conversations now with farmers from different generations. And the one farmer told me, you know, farmers have been doing sustainability since before it was cool. And another one used the word since before it was groovy. So you can kind of see the generations. <laughs> but it's so true. If you look back through history, farmers have always, always been the greatest caretakers of the land because without doing that, they can't they can't do the next year. They can't do their crops the next year. They can't care for their livestock the next year if those resources aren't there for them. Exactly. Exactly. And we, I think we do see it as a responsibility as landowners as well to make sure that our streams are healthy, that, you know, our, the, the animals, around, everything is healthy. I, I see it now in my neighborhood with, I live in a dairy farm community here in Wisconsin, and my, well, my neighbor just put in, redid all of the stream that goes through his property so that we can provide more habitat for the trout and just make it a little bit more sustainable and i just i mean the and they're putting their money behind this this is not like someone's paying for it they're yes. doing this because they want the land to be better so i hope that the consumers can can celebrate with us for uh for the farmers doing that well in your efforts and what you do you shed light on a lot of different things for consumers and help them understand what's happening on the farm, why things are done the way they are on the farm. But I'm curious to know, is there something surprising, you know, what's the most surprising thing consumers have asked you over the years when it comes to farming or agriculture? Is there something that just like, you know, knocked your socks off? <laughs> well, it's, uh, I realize a lot how lucky I am to have grown up farming and to know all these different things. I had a group of folks come from Minneapolis out to the farm and I have Jersey cows. So they have like these really beautiful yeah. eyes and things like that. And I was kind of joking with these folks and um, they said, well, what's the hardest part about farming? And I said, well, I have to come out every morning really early and get the <laughs> mascara on the cows and do like a little smoky eye. And they were like, looked at me, they're like, that sounds like a lot of work. And I was like, well, they give chocolate milk. So what are you going to do? You know? Um, but it's like, people are so like, I'm like, of course I don't do that. And the, like, it's funny the disconnect mm -hmm. people have with 
where their food is coming from. And I think a lot of people too do think that farming is harsh uh, for the earth and for the environment and things like that. But uh, I really believe that we are stewards of the land. Applying mascara every day to the jerseys. Uh, we will put a picture up of a jersey over on our social media page for all of you wondering what a jersey looks like. They, I will say, they do have the most stunning eyes out of all of the cattle because it does look like they're wearing makeup. Yes. <laughs> well, Inga, tell me, is there a moment for you personally that you learned something while you were out on these storytelling adventures that you know, really shocked you as even somebody from within the industry? It's so hard to answer that because I learned so much from all these different folks. I think for me, one of my biggest takeaways from doing this series was I always thought that dairy farming was just like the hardest, the hardest way to farm, right? It's milking every day. And to be introduced to farmers who are doing CSAs, community supported agriculture, or uh, market gardening for all these different varieties of produce. My, there's a reason they're all like very fit, you know, <laughs> and healthy. It's like they work so hard. They're harvesting all of these different plants at all these different times, managing the, all these different crops. And it was just so, I was like, oh, I'm never can complain ever again about like having a hard day or like a long day because these folks are working their buns off. One of the other things that I really was loving to learn um, is, well, you know, like, for example, I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day with the woman that was on mm -hmm. talking about cranberries. And I was like, I, I, I researched cranberries and I thought I knew uh, so much and I'm still learning yes. about it from her talking about it. And I just love learning about these like really interesting crops that we take for granted every day. One of the things is cut flowers. Not great when it comes to cutting flowers. Uh, there's a lot of pesticide use. And mm -hmm. we have so many people now sprouting up in, in the Midwest that are growing cut flowers. So I was able to talk with one woman about growing flowers. She uh, puts in 20,000 tulip bulbs every fall by hand. And again, what? I was just like, I am so lazy. Like, I cannot <sighs> believe these people are doing all this. And then she has to harvest the tulips oh. three or four times a day during the spring to get them to, to be able to cut them when uh, the, the bloom is at its best. And then she has to get those to the market. And I, I was like, so the next time someone brings flowers to you or sends you flowers to home or work, uh, that's a huge appreciation for the farmer behind it. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Okay, so we talked about those technical issues at the beginning of this episode, right? Well, that technical issue snowball has just kept growing. So unfortunately, due to those technical issues, we don't have those last few moments with Inga. But I do want to mention this, that Inga recently received the 2021 Storyteller Award from the Slow Food USA organization. And for all of you at home, Slow Food USA's vision is to create a world where all people can enjoy food that is good for them, good for the people who grow it, and good for the planet. Inga was one of 20 to receive this honor across 10 different categories. She told me it was such an honor and it was like winning an Oscar for her. You have been listening to Inga Witcher, host of the PBS Wisconsin series Around the Farm Table. Inga, 
I know you're out there listening in the barn milking the cows right now. So from all of us here at Inside the Bullseye, thank you. Thank you for the long hours you put in as a farmer yourself, but an extra thank you for supporting and sharing the stories of our farmers all over the Midwest. Your time and talents are truly appreciated. If you'd like to watch clips or even full episodes of Around the Farm Table, we have a link to Inga's website, aroundthefarmtable.com, listed for you in the show notes. And if you'd like to request a visit from Inga to your community center or library for a cooking demonstration, we have all that information for you as well in the show notes. And we can't forget a call out to social media around the farm table on Facebook and Instagram. And of course, her farms page, St. Isidore's Dairy. Again, all of those linked for you in the show notes. All right, before we wrap this up, I just want to take a moment and say thank you for sharing a little portion of your week with us here at Inside the Bullseye. The last four months have been simply incredible, and we've loved having you a part of the conversation. This will be our last episode of the year, and we do want you to note we'll be taking some time off in January to start preparing our next season, but we can't wait to pick back up where we left off in February 2022. Until then, you can still follow along on social media. Inside the Bullseye is available on both Facebook and Instagram. From all of us here at Inside the Bullseye, happy holidays, and may you and your family have a wonderful new year. We'll see you back in February of 2022. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope after listening, you feel just a little more connected to the people and places that have made it possible for you to bring all of your favorite products into your home every day. Inside the Bullseye is available for download right now. Just click subscribe wherever you consume your favorite podcasts and catch a new episode featuring a new guest every Thursday. Don't forget, be sure to join the conversation as well. We'd love to hear from you. Follow along on Facebook and Instagram at Inside the Bullseye. You have questions, ask me. I'll get you the answer in a future episode. This episode of Inside the Bullseye wouldn't be possible without ABS Global. ABS is a bovine genetic company that's proud to partner with farmers in 70 countries all around the globe to produce nutritional animal proteins to feed the world. Thanks so much for joining us. In the meantime, be sure to thank a farmer.